Acts chapter 14, our title, What Happens When You Go With God? Let's have a look here in Acts chapter 14. We're continuing our journey through the book of Acts, and we've got to the end of chapter 14. And we're going to look at the last section here of the chapter and see what we can learn from it, what, uh, what God has in mind for us all. So the end of chapter 14, we're now in verse... Uh, we get the right chapter. Verse 21. Let's go back to verse 20 just to put it in context of what's... So Acts chapter 14 and verse 20... Um, some people come and they stone Paul, drag him outside the city, thinking he's dead. And it says, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Now let's see what happens there. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true, in, true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Ataliah. From Ataliah, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This is the conclusion of chapters 13 and 14. And we see in particular what's emphasized here is God's grace. They were committed to God's work by God's grace. So we're looking at the completion of what happens when God's grace is active, what happens when you go with God. Let's do a quick summary of chapters 13 and 14. And let's, now what I want to do today is not so much focus on the detail of the passage we've just read, but more what the themes are that we can see in chapters 13 and 14. Paul and Barnabas is what's sometimes called their first missionary journey. They've had their first missionary journey. And so this is where they have been, where we've been going over the last few weeks. So they started over here in Antioch, Syrian Antioch. And they went to Cyprus, where they landed on here, first of all, in Barnabas' hometown. That's where he's from. And then they went down to Paphos. Anybody remember, what, anybody remember what happened in Paphos? In chapter 13, Paphos, Sergius Paulus, and a sorcerer who was made blind by, by Paul. Remember that? So that, that was uh, there, and then they went off up to, up to Perga and then Pisidian uh, Antioch. And in Pamphylia, which is part of the way along there, uh, John Mark goes back to Jerusalem. And in Pisidian Antioch, um, Paul gives an, a, an incredibly interesting summary of the Old Testament and how that fits with the good news of Jesus. The whole city hears about the gospel. The whole of this city of Pisidian Antioch, tens of thousands of people, Many Gentiles believe, 
and the word of God spreads, it says, through the whole region. So a short time amount of work here, that the word spreads through an entire region. God is doing an astonishing uh, work here. They, they get expelled, which as you know becomes a bit of a pattern. But it says though that when they're expelled, they're filled with joy. And they trust that the Holy Spirit is taking them where they need to go. From there, they head off to Iconium. In Iconium, it says great numbers of people believed, turned to the Lord. Um, then there's some poisoning of minds, if you may remember. Some people come and poison the minds of those who are listening to Paul and Barnabas. And indeed, they, they, well, they then persevere. They find out there's a plot to kill them. And so then they leave. And then they go on to Lystra, their next stop on this missionary journey. There, the first thing that happens is that a lame man is healed. Not by touch, but just by Paul saying, let you be healed, and he's healed. So he's healed, and a pagan crowd gathered. The first time that a truly pagan crowd gathered to hear the gospel is there at Lystra, highly significant. And Paul gives a very different sermon to that pagan crowd than he gives in the Jewish synagogues and to his largely Jewish audience up until that point. Um, and although there's good news and a healing, uh, it ends up with what we just read there, where Paul is stoned and left outside the city. They drag him, literally drag him. They have dragged him by his heels with his head bumping along the ground. They thought he was dead. They left him outside there. And uh, some brave people, disciples who are brave, gather around him. Must have taken some courage to do that. And it seems that he's not dead. And then he gets out, goes back in the city. They go elsewhere and they finish off, as we just read earlier, in Derby here. And... Large numbers, again, of people are brought to the Lord there. After that, they go back through, from where they've come, back to um, along the same sort of route, ending up back at Antioch, in Syrian Antioch, where they give the report that we've just been looking at. What do we see? What do we see as we think about, what has this first missionary journey taught us? What has this shown us? And I'll suggest a few things. Obviously, one of the things it, it reveals is the power of God's word to convert all different kinds of people. Gentiles, Jews, pagans. There's a lot of people who are brought to faith in Jesus Christ. We also see, uh, over and over again, opposition and setbacks, which we'll talk more about in a minute. We're seeing a lot of firsts here. They're breaking new ground over and over and over again. But here's the overall feeling I get and what impresses me most about them and about God working in them. And it's this, that despite all of this, despite the opposition and the setbacks, they have an undiminished enthusiasm. An undiminished enthusiasm for the things of God. They've been sent by God. They've been sent by the power of the grace of God. They face incredible hardships, difficult times, and yet their enthusiasm for the things of God is undiminished. And I think there's a lot for us to learn from this. So I want to bring us two thoughts and then give us some things to pray about for ourselves and think about for what it means for us personally as well as for a church here. So the lessons from the first missionary journey. The first lesson I think is this, that when we go with God, and we maintain an undiminished enthusiasm for the things of God, then we bear God's fruit. It's not our fruit, it's God's fruit. But we bear God's fruit when we go with God, by the grace of God, and with an undiminished enthusiasm. We see this again and again and again in chapters 13 and chapter 14. Large numbers of people, all kinds of people, 
great variety of people. And indeed, as we look around in this room today, we have a great variety of people here, young and old, different nationalities, backgrounds, interests, uh, all kinds of, of differences amongst us. And there's a flexibility of, of approach that we talked about before. And this, is, this happens at great cost, which we'll talk more about in a minute. Sometimes things happen that remind you of the joy and the excitement of being involved in the mission of God. I, uh, I, got a, I got a message this week on my phone from Karen Heath. Some of us might know. Karen, I know Simon and Patricia know Tony and Karen Heath. They used to be in the northwest of London back in, back in the previous millennium. <laughs> it's actually literally the case. Um, and uh, Penny and I knew them then when they were a very young married couple. And they're now in the Thames Valley Churches of Christ. And Karen's mum became a Christian, Brenda, who we knew also in Manchester when she lived there. And her husband became a Christian. He died a little while ago now. And uh, Brenda, I think I have a picture here. There she is. Brenda Milbourne um, is 80 years old. She won't mind me saying that because it's public. And uh, she lives in a sheltered accommodation kind of place for uh, people of that sort of age. And she's the only um, member of, of the church there in this uh, complex. And uh, she decided she wanted to do something for God. So she decided to have a Bible discussion in her old people's home. And she's never done this before. She's never led a Bible discussion before. She's never done anything like this before. She's 80 years old. And she'd held her first ever Bible discussion, and she had two friends there. And she had others who said they're going to come next week. And I just love that adventurous spirit. She's 80, yet she has undiminished enthusiasm for the things of God. She's already helped someone become a Christian there who sadly died. Sid, who I've talked about here before, who's a First World War veteran. Uh, who was at D-Day, and uh, who was at Dunkirk and at the Battle for Arnhem. He died earlier this year, but he became a Christian in his 90s. In his 90s, because of Brenda. It was actually, technically, he reached out to her, because it turns out he fancied her and wanted to marry her. Um, and that didn't work out, but he did become a Christian. And you'd be forgiven for thinking if you're 80 years old, you're kind of done, you've done enough, right? But Brenda has an undiminished enthusiasm. I love that. I feel challenged by that example, but I also feel very refreshed. It's really important we don't lose our sense of joy, of outreach, and, and that there are people who really want to know, know about God. Let me give you one other encouragement that came my way this week. There's a photograph of Patricia Palmer, not this Patricia Palmer, but Patricia Palmer, the mother of Wendy Gajewski, and I've shared here about her before, and I took the funeral for Pat last Friday, when she, she died recently. She died at the age of 95. She was a Christian for 30 years. But the story is this, and I didn't know the story until recently. 30-odd um, years ago, some of us might know Brian and Gillian Miller, who are in the Manchester church, but have been serving in many places. And um, before they were married, Gillian, as a very young Christian, was sitting on a train and she, someone, another young lady sat next to her and she got chatting to her and it turned out to be Wendy and she asked Wendy if she'd like to come to her church and Wendy came along and then Gillian studied the Bible together with her, taught her and she became a Christian. 
And the first thing that Wendy did was reach out to her mother, who was at that point in her 60s. And she reached out to her mother, invited her mother to church, and then Gillian and Wendy did some Bible studies with, with Pat, uh, Wendy's mom, and she became a disciple 30-odd years ago. And to, to be at the funeral and to see, and Gillian and Brian came all the way down from Manchester to attend the funeral, and to see that joy on Gillian's face of knowing that one conversation changed the destinies of many people, because it changed Wendy's destiny, but then she married a Christian, who, and their two children are Christians. And then the mother, Pat, died faithful to God. One simple conversation. It wasn't complicated. Gillian, when she reached out to Wendy, was a baby Christian. She really had no idea what she was to, to do or how to, to teach people, but she just did what she knew. And I think what Paul and Barnabas do isn't very complicated, actually. They just turn up, walk into the synagogue, each town, if there is one, and say, we've got some good news for you. It's about the Messiah. And they get on with it. And certainly Paul and Barnabas were well-educated and, and all that, but they, they didn't have a strategy before they started because this is the first time it had ever been done. So it's not like they had a brilliant strategy they knew would work. And we don't need to have that. We don't need to have a strategy that we know will work or that used to work in the past to have this, to have this undiminished enthusiasm. The undiminished enthusiasm is not about skill or knowledge or experience. The undiminished enthusiasm is about trusting in the grace of God, that if we do the things of God, we will bear the fruit of God. And that is what we see. So we see this in the book of Acts. We see this in flesh uh, around us even today. Not only, though, bearing the fruit of God in helping people become followers of Jesus, but also, I would say, in strengthening do you notice their enthusiasm for strengthening the church? They go back to visit all the churches. It says strengthening them and appointing elders. Now, I think this is very impressive because bear in mind, if we go back to the map here, bear in mind, they finished chapter 14 more or less in, in Derby, right? Where are they from? They're from Syrian Antioch. Where's Saul from? He's from Tarsus. Now, they've been opposed and stoned in these places. Why go back there? I mean, if you're going to go back to Syria and Antioch, why not go that way? Why not go east instead of west? Especially he could pop in and see his family and friends in Tarsus, could Saul, right? Paul. And, and then they, they get to Antioch quicker to give the good news more quickly to the church there and tell them all the good things that have been happening. But they take the tougher route. They, go, they retrace their steps all of this way to get back there because they have compassion for vulnerable Christians. They want to strengthen them. And so we see this second thing, I think, in these chapters, that there's an enthusiasm for strengthening, an enthusiasm for, for maturing and helping one another, appointing elders, strengthening the church. It's, a, it's an important thing. And I think it's important even in a group like this, where I, I would hope I can say, and I think I can say, that there's a a high proportion and degree of maturity in this group, perhaps more so than some. And, but it's important that we don't rely on the maturity and strength that we have or feel we have when we could be helping each other in areas where we have personal weaknesses. Because we might be relatively strong as a group because we have a lot of strengths, but we still personally have our own weaknesses, don't we? And we need each other because if I'm weak in one area, Somebody here is strong in that same area or can help me to get stronger. 
Strengthening is something that doesn't happen by chance. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It, strengthening doesn't happen just because we turn up and see each other and have a cup of coffee. Strengthening has to be deliberate. They strengthen the church. They appoint elders. I, I, um, strengthening is important and helpful, but it's also embarrassing, I think, for the person being strengthened. So, as an example, so I've got my, uh, some dumbbells here. Now, this up here on the top right, on the top right there, um, that's my, uh, my body conditioning strengthening regime given to me by Debbie Bishop. <laughs> so... I decided earlier this year that I wanted to get a little fitter and stronger um, because I'm 58 and I have a fear that um, I'm going to feel a lot weaker as I get older, man. I, that's what I'm worried about, Dan. I, 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 want to, I want to be fitter for longer if I can be, right? So I, I've done a, a few things, and one of them is... I said, I think I need some, some uh, strengthening. And so Penny said, why don't you talk to Debbie because she does sort of uh, co uh, strength coach coaching and stuff like that. I said, okay. And I thought that, that idea at the time sounded great. But of course then when Debbie turns up as she did and kindly spent an hour with me uh, talking through my, my weaknesses, my pains, my, my goals and my aims and what I think I need. And then she designed this program for me which involves... Um, uh, me taking up strange positions on the floor and moving my legs around in very uh, embarrassing and odd uh, positions and, and movements, which don't look at all dignified. And so I'm doing this with her because she's saying, no, not like that, like this. No, that muscle needs to be doing that. No, no, you need to pull your stomach in and, and, and get your spine, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Not vertical, uh, aligned, I think, right? Okay, so, and, all, and, and so I'm twisting and I'm pulling and I'm, and, and you know, it's bad enough if you're on your own, but when you've got someone watching you, and I'm sweating like crazy and I'm doing these really simple little exercises, because you know, if you haven't used muscles in a certain way before, even a small little movement, which seems like nothing, after only two or three bits of movement, I'm, I'm shaking, you know when your muscles are shaking and you can't hold a position, and I think, I'm a bloke. And I should be able to handle this. I shouldn't be sh shivering and shaking my muscles like this. I couldn't, she, she, she got me to do three push-ups. I couldn't do three, not properly. I was embarrassed. But I, it made me question, maybe question why am I doing this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's why. But you have to, you have, to have your, your motivation, right? Um, but I thought, no, I want to be stronger. And I have to trust an expert. And it was interesting, because part of the reason is I've got bad knees, and I want my knees to last longer before they need replacing. And I also have a bad disc in my neck, and that affects my sleep. I don't sleep too well sometimes because of the pain in my neck. I did this lot with her. I did two, two other sets during the week. After two other um, goes through the program, I already had less pain in my neck at night. And I started sleeping better. I thought, oh, this is why I'm doing it. This is working. So then I messaged Debbie and I said, how often, by the way, do I need to do this? She said, oh, three times a week minimum. Oh, I was hoping she'd say once or twice, you know, three minimum. Well, I'm not sure I'm quite there. Don't tell Debbie. Uh, but uh, but I, I need it, don't I? We need strengthening, even though it's embarrassing. For me to reveal my weaknesses to somebody is embarrassing. But how am I going to get stronger? We need to have that kind of relationship 
with each other in this, in this fellowship, in this community, where we're, we're, okay, this is where I'm weak. I think you're strong. Could you, could you help me with this? Bearing God's fruit by having undiminished enthusiasm for helping people become disciples and bearing God's fruit by having undiminished enthusiasm for strengthening one another and God's church. So we see we bear God's fruit, but also we bear with setbacks. One of the most impressive things about Paul and Barnabas is the way they handle the challenges as they go along in chapters 13 and 14. They bear with the setbacks well. They persevered despite the setbacks. They had extreme reactions to their preaching and teaching. Two sorts of setbacks. Firstly, external. External setbacks. Now, yes, sorry, darling, but it's uh, for Penny. But So this is us with my mum and dad in the 90s when we were in Manchester and uh, leading the congregation there. Mum and dad had come to visit us for a few days. But this was also the time when Penny and I endured, and the church in Manchester endured, the most severe opposition and persecution. Uh, we had uh, radio programs on the BBC about us, television programs. We had... Um, uh, secret reporters coming in to record our services using a, a pinhole uh, camera in a, in a button. Um, I, was, I was accosted whilst boarding a bus by a BBC reporter with a microphone who put his microphone in my mouth. We had some physical opposition. Uh, Penny was physically assaulted by somebody. I was physically assaulted by another chap, two or three, no, same person, two or three times. Um, we had threats to the point where we had to leave our house and move in with some other people for a while, and there's more, and I'll tell you the detail another time, right? Those were not good, not pleasant times, they were difficult. When you're facing setbacks externally, when you've got people opposing you, giving you a hard time for your faith, as you try and live out your Christian life, it can be very demoralizing. And it's something we have to learn how to handle. I don't, some of the way we reacted personally to that, I think we did, we did well. Other way, other, in other ways, perhaps we didn't do as well as we could. We learned a lot from it. We learned a lot of different things from it, which is really for another time. But we carried on at least going to church and being Christians. And there are times when you've got to go through some tough stuff and still keep going. And Paul and Barnabas have an undiminished enthusiasm for the things of God, despite the fact that people are poisoning the minds of the people they're listening to. There are plots to kill them and even a stoning to the point where... They think someone's dead. We've got to handle it. Learning how to handle opposition is part of the, being a Christian. And I'd have to say, although it was a very difficult time for us, there was something about it that drew me closer to God, reminded me about why I do what I do as a Christian, and helped the church in some strange way. And we bonded together. Uh, we developed deeper friendships through those tough, times. Sometimes the uh, setbacks are external, sometimes they're internal. Sometimes they're internal. In the middle of this uh, first missionary journey, we see John Mark, Barnabas's cousin, desert them. Later on it talks about it was a desertion. Here it just says he left for Jerusalem. But it was a desertion. John Mark bottled out in some way. How discouraging that must have been for Barnabas to see his cousin um, leave them like this. But they carried on. They carried on. I'll show you this picture. This is a friend of mine, Mike, who was my, one of my best friends. In fact, he was my best friend in my first year at university until you know, around April, May, in our first year at university, he decided 
that he liked my girlfriend and he'd like to have her as his girlfriend and so he stole her off me. Um, and then we weren't friends anymore. And uh, we are now again. But, and I forgave him. Um, and it, little did I know that he was doing me and her a favor. Um, I was rotten to that poor young lady and I was a terrible boyfriend. So she was much better off with him than me. Um, but also that cleared the way for me to get to know Penny. And uh, so I'm actually rather glad <laughs> that, but at the time it seemed like a big setback. At the time I was furious. At the time I went into a spiral of, of alcoholism and, and depression. I drank and drank and drank every night. I sat in my room, as some of you know, I make homebrew beer. I had three barrels in my room, three, bar three barrels of beer. I sat in my room and drank three barrels of beer over the next little while. I didn't know how to handle this kind of emotional setback. It's in internal, I mean, I, amongst friends, amongst those you trust. Not an external thing from a, a force outside, but people that you love and know. So that's what I did until I, I ran out of money and I ran out of, of my, the end of my rope, you know, ran out of beer. And, and, and the story for another time, but that's when I rang my mother, which is what you do at those times. And uh, she was a great help to me, in, uh, as she always has been and continues to be. Uh, but, you know, sometimes things happen to us even in our fellowship. We can wrong one another. We can hurt one another. We get hurt by the people we love and trust. Paul and Barnabas show us that if, they are, if we're empowered by the grace of God, for the work of God, we can retain an undiminished enthusiasm for the things of God, even if we have setbacks, external or internal, opposition or desertion. We can retain that undiminished enthusiasm. It's impressive what they're like, but uh, it doesn't have to be any different for us. We have the same spirit of Christ living in you and me. We can have that. Now, let me conclude by thinking through a little bit here how this worked. I think they retained their undiminished enthusiasm, not because they were natural, I don't know, A-type people who are optimistic and entrepreneurial by nature. And we, we have no way of knowing their personality and nature and disposition. But what we can say is that they believed they were on God's mission. They believed in God. God was their focus. As you read through chapters 13 and 14, the focus isn't really Paul and Barnabas or what they do. It's the fact that God's grace is working in them and through them. It's about God. We don't know how they felt day to day. I'm not, you know, when Paul woke up from being stoned, I, I doubt he sort of jumped up and like, hooray. I, I'd imagine he had a few aches and pains and bruises and he was like, this was, this was a tough day. Uh, to say we've got undiminished enthusiasm is not to say we're never down or we never have a tough time. That's not what it's about. But it's about finding your way back to undiminished enthusiasm when you've lost it. It's finding your way back there, knowing you've lost it, knowing you can recover it, knowing that God is with you. We, we can come, come back, go back to that place. They were motivated within the grace of God. That's why they were sent. By, they were sent by the grace of God. They reported on the grace of God and what the grace of God had done. They were confident in the love of God. Let me share with you a, a phrase that I've been meditating and praying about the last week or two. I read, I think it was Dallas Willard wrote something like this, which I've paraphrased. It's about this. I think so much of the Christian life depends on this. 
that we are confident in the love of God and we're confident in the competency of God. If we're confident in the love of God, the love of God for us personally, and we're confident in the competency of God, then God can work. Then God can work through us and then we can find that undiminished enthusiasm when we lose it. But we won't find it if we're not confident in the love of God. And we won't find it if we don't believe God is competent. Now, competent, in my interpretation of competent, is two things about God. One is his power, and the other is his wisdom. Does God have enough power? Does God have enough wisdom? Someone who's truly competent has strength and wisdom, knowledge and power, depending on how you want to put it. But I think that's, what, what, that's how God is. He is love but he is also one who has power and strength, and he is, is one who has wisdom and gives us generously the strength we need and the wisdom we need. Do you trust God's love? Do you trust his competency? That's where we must start. We'd love to bear the fruit of God. We'd love to see the strengthening of God. We'd love to see more people become Christians. We'd love to be able to have that undiminished enthusiasm when we have the setbacks externally or internally. That's what I want to have in my life. That's what we all want to have personally and as a church. But if we don't have this, we're not going to have that. Trust in the love of God and trust in the competency of God. We've all got our challenges. But we can thrive like Paul and Barnabas did. We can thrive and we can see the fruit of God and we can see the power of God, we can see the wisdom of God if we trust in the love of God and we believe in his competency. And so we see a number of things uh, in chapters 13 and 14 which I think are amazing and very inspiring and I hope and pray for myself and for us as a church that we can be inspired by what we see in Paul and Barnabas, inspired by their undiminished enthusiasm, that we can ourselves develop a greater level of undiminished enthusiasm as time goes by, which will mean strengthening one another, helping one another to have a greater strength than we naturally have, and helping each other to deal with the setbacks we all have. Setbacks regarding our children, setbacks regarding our parents, setbacks regarding our career, setbacks regarding our finances, setbacks regarding all kinds of relationships, setbacks in terms of our own health, you, you write your own list, but we can help each other with those. Maybe we can't fix those things in each other, that's not the point. But maybe we can help each other find an undiminished enthusiasm for God in the midst of those things that then helps us to keep our focus on God and enjoy the joy of the Spirit and the peace that passes understanding. So I hope that's helpful. I'd like to encourage us to, to reflect on these things and ask yourself what you need to do that will help you to have an ongoing undiminished enthusiasm for the things of God. Thank you very much. God bless.